What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago. What's next for Chicago's public health and police departments? Promontory Point swimmers want more protections, and Chance's Acid Rap Mixtape celebrates 10 years. Joining me to make sense of another busy week in the city is WTTW's Heather Sharon and Block Club Chicago's Maxwell Evans. It's Friday, August 18th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. Max, Heather, welcome back to CityCast. So glad to be here. Hello, hello. Hey, I appreciate y'all. But before we jump into the conversation, I want to source our chatter question. In Hey Chicago, we are asking people, where is their favorite or the best place to cry in the city? Uh, And so I wanted to get that question from y'all, two people who spend a lot of time going around Chicago. And it can't be your house, right? It can't be a room in the place that you live. It needs to be a public or private location outside of your domicile. Heather, where's your favorite place to cry in the city? I mean, it has to be the CTA, right? Because, like, that's just what the CTA is for, right? And, like, if you see somebody crying on the CTA, um, just avert your eyes. Go about your business. <laughs> look about, look at your phone. Look out the window. Read a book. Like, you don't need to be all up in their business. Just let them have their moment. Like, the CTA is the best public private space in the city (laughs) and that's that's what it's there for like if you grew up in the city and you did not cry on the cta at some point in high school about a romantic partner then i don't i I don't even know if you're human but like um (laughs) that that's where it is hey i want you to know you are not alone we've already had people reach out and say because their motto on the train is like mind your business and avert your eyes so much is already happening on cta another person crying on the bus and or train is not that out of out of the norm for people. I don't, I don't know if I have it in me. I feel like I would <laughs> <laughs> until I came out the and onto the platform. Mm. Uh, but Maxwell, what about you? What's a what's a great place for you to go get a good cry in? Yeah. So uh, first off, I just want to say the CTA, I am not a native Chicagoan, so I didn't have that experience. And I'm a little intimidated by that. Like I take the CTA everywhere, but I don't know if I could do it on the bus or the train. I get the rules. I get you avert your eyes, but I'm a little too intimidated by that. So I like to go for the lakefront trail uh, when I'm on my bike or something like it can just look like sweat or it can look like I'm not actually having a breakdown or anything like that. Uh, And more specifically, uh, uh, there's this basketball court over by uh, the 35th Street Bridge on the train especially at nighttime you get back there like it's just your own island back there so I feel like there's no better spot than like I'm just in the darkness I'm going deeper into my feelings to start crying on that basketball court 
<laughs> I know the exact basketball court you are talking about. I ride past it on my bike all the time. I agree. I think the Lakefront Trail it, it feels in many ways like like just a gimme. Like that's what it's that's what it's meant for. Me, I'm gonna stay in your neck of the woods, Maxwell, behind the South Shore Cultural Center. There is that little beach back there that not many people are hip to. And if you find yourself out there on a good day before the cold temperature comes in, I feel like you can probably just get a good cry on it what feels like a nice little low-key beach for a little bit, or even walk through the nature sanctuary, get to the back of there, and then you just, you out there truly by yourself. So somewhere in South Shore, I think, is a, is a top place to cry. It's ridiculous because I was going to say that one, but I'm like, I'm always <laughs> mentioning the sanctuary. I'm always mentioning South Shore. Let me pick something a little different. So you stole mine. You didn't even know it. We had a busy week across the city of Chicago, and it started with some news out of City Hall with Brandon Johnson doing a little bit of hiring, doing a little bit of firing. We're going to start with the hiring. Earlier this week, lead producer Small Ali Say and I broke down Johnson press conference announcing the new police superintendent, Chief Larry Snelling. Obviously, he still needs to be confirmed by the city council, uh, but we ran through his bio. Born in Inglewood, CPS student, 30-year CPD, led Area 2 in Inglewood, overseeing training in counterterrorism. But Heather, you were in the room during this press conference. Let's start with what were some of your takeaways? This is going to be, if not the most important Brandon jo uh, appointment Brandon Johnson makes in his time as mayor, it is certainly going to be up there. So now, you know, not only will Larry Snelling face pointed questions from the Community Commission on Public Safety and Accountability and the City Council, I, I expect him to be confirmed. There's, there's no real sort of, you know, movement to say that he's not qualified because of his record that you just ran through. And he's somebody who does have a lot of support across the political spectrum. You heard from sort of the FOP, the police union that represents rank and file officers embracing Larry Snelling as one of their own. But you also saw the ACLU of Illinois saying, Larry Snelling is somebody we can work with. We know that, you know, he's committed to sort of doing things the right way. So the question becomes, what happens after that vote? What does Larry Snelling do? do and there's not going to be a honeymoon and the 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 challenges that he will face are just massive so not only will he face immediate pressure to continue this sort of downward trajectory of murders and shootings and other violent crimes he's also going to face a good deal of pressure to make significant progress on efforts to reform the Chicago Police Department and i think that perhaps is even a bigger challenge than reducing crime. And I think that you're going to hear a lot of people sort of linking the fact that unless the police department begins to constitutionally police its it's Chicago residents, there can be no long-term significant reduction in crime because those two things are linked. So that is really the, 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 what Larry Snelling is signing up for. And at the same time, he now works for a mayor, essentially, who has promised to revamp how public safety is approached in Chicago. So he's not going to be somebody who's going to sort of be, you know, arrest, sort of a lot of focus on arrest numbers or, you know, that sort of thing, he's got to sort of take a more holistic approach because that's what Brandon Johnson promised during the campaign. And if he doesn't deliver, that's going to be a political problem for the mayor and the police superintendent. 
throughout this hiring process, it seems that so many people involved wanted someone from inside the department. But I was at an event earlier this week with a bunch of journalists that we all love from across the city. And it felt there was this sentiment that we're sort of romanticizing his 30 years on the force, romanticizing him being sort of a son of Inglewood. But you asked questions at the press conference about well, you were over one of the most divested neighborhoods in this community that doesn't have the most positive relationship with policing. You were over training, which came under major scrutiny in a federal consent decree, which the Chicago Police Department is slow to to um, to make improvements on. Heather, do you feel like your questions got answered during that press conference? And, and do you think we're, we're maybe glossing over some major criticism points? No, uh, Chief Snelling did not answer my question, which was specifically if the Department of Justice found in 2017 that the department's training academy was producing officers unprepared to lawfully and constitutionally policing to police Chicago, how can reform advocates be certain that he's committed to improving reform? And you know, he said, look, I'm committed to actual training, robust training, training that actually gets officers the tools they need to police constitutionally. But his record is is at best mixed on this. And I think that we are sort of in this the the sort of a cycle that's been going on in Chicago for decades. A mayor hires an outsider to lead the police department that's been under fire and scandal plagued and beleaguered. And then that outside police chief doesn't really make any difference. So he gets fired. And then an insider is picked. But then he is beset by scandal and he is fired. And then he is replaced by an outsider who is again <laughs> replaced by an insider and on and on and, and the on. And that's where we are right now. So, you know, it, once Larry Snelling is confirmed, as I expect him to be, he will replace um, David Brown, who was brought on as an outsider to replace Eddie Johnson, who was an insider who was brought on to replace Gary McCarthy, an outsider. And I, I don't know that sort of repeating this cycle ad infinitum is really going to sort of address the deep-rooted and fundamental problems in the Chicago Police Department. And Brandon Johnson made no little promises on this fact, and he is going to have to deliver. And it's very much an open question as to whether or not he got it right here. From City Hall over to one of the most relaxing places in the city of Chicago, Promontory Point. It is back in the news again. Uh, we're usually talking about fighting to protect the limestones, but we got a landmark now. But a new fight is taking place. Uh, what's happening over at the Point, Max? Yeah, so there's a, a very well-established tradition, culture, whatever you want to call it, going back decades of, of people swimming at the point. Like you go to the north side of the point, you'll see a lot of people that are kind of just floating around, doing more leisurely swimming. And then at the south end, you've got people that are, are going back and forth to the 59th Street Pier. It's about a half mile, so like it's a real good checkpoint. You can get a mile in for a round trip. Uh, so, yeah, people have been doing this for years, just just trying to get their exercise in, enjoy Lake Michigan and all this beauty. Um, and so this summer they are concerned because they're 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 reporting an increase in uh, boats and jet skis coming close to them as they swim. 
Uh, there are a few buoys out in the water that say that you can't, uh, that, that try and protect the shoreline, try and protect people at 57th Street Beach, for example, from uh, boaters and jet skiers coming too close. But there's a lot of gaps in them right now. And, and on the north end where the leisurely swimmers are, there's really only one. It's kind of tilted and, and, and uh, floating in the water and not very visible. So uh, that's led to a lot of close calls that these swimmers are saying. And uh, they, they've asked for more buoys and more protections to, to really acknowledge that, hey, people swim out here. And so that, that's been going uh, uh, not as well as they would have hoped, I'd say, because they, they'd asked the park district for more buoys. Um, and the park district essentially said, well, you're not supposed to swim at the point anyway. You're supposed to swim at 57th Street Beach mm. or 63rd Street Beach or 41st. Uh, uh, and you're not you're not allowed to be swimming where there's no beach, no lifeguard on on hand. And so that that's kind of caused some concern because for a lot of these swimmers, it's like, well, yeah, but there's still dozens of people out here every day, like whether or not it's it's legal, whether or not you're supposed to. The fact of the matter is people have and always have people do and always have swim at the point. This reminds me of a story a, a little bit ago up uh, sort of on the north side of the city where you had swimmers, people sort of jumping into the lake and they were asking for more life rings and the city sort of resisted putting them there because they were like, well, this will encourage swimming in places where it's technically banned. But you talk about this tradition that goes back years and years. You know, how do we balance that tradition against the, you know, the liability that the park district is is trying to assert here? Because in some respects, they got to, you know, sort of protect themselves and liability of having swimmers out there. But we do also want to make sure that these neighborhoods stay are sort of respected. Um, I asked them some specific questions about like, uh, uh, what are your future plans for enforcement? Or do you plan to install more buoys? And I got like a, a pretty boilerplate response saying, you're not allowed to swim there. Here are the places you can swim. Um, and we're working to hire more lifeguards at the places where you can swim. I, I really appreciate you bringing up the point about the, uh, the life rings because it, it has a lot of echoes of that same situation uh, where the park district was saying, well, yeah, you just can't swim here. Our hands are kind of tied and uh, eventually really didn't do too much on that issue until uh, the state essentially forced their hand and said Lake Michigan access points need to have these life rings because it's a safety issue. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's not really clear what's going to happen with this, but uh, that's why neighbors are going to to places like Harbor Masters and to the uh, jet ski rentals at, at 63rd Street Beach and like trying to solve it as a community, trying to figure out, can they build some sort of sense of personal accountability amongst the sort of stakeholders in the area if the park district won't sort of step in? Exactly. And even accountability for the swimmers themselves, because they've been wearing uh, these fluorescent uh, buoys on their arms or, or like making themselves more visible with bright clothing, things like that, where, all right, if the park district isn't going to put these buoys in, we need to be safe. We don't want to get hit by a boat or a jet ski while we're swimming underwater. So let's just do what we can to, to make this safer. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. 
I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts, your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. Heather, let's get you back in here. We talked about a big hiring in Mayor Johnson's administration. Now we got to switch gears and talk about the firing that may or may not have been a surprise to some this week. Uh, you know, Dr. Allison Arwoody, after years of leading Chicago's Department of Public Health, is out. And it seems without uh, many opportunities to, to state their case in front of the mayor. What are you hearing? Well, here's the thing. This, um, even if COVID had never happened, and let's all take a moment and like go down that sliding doors moment of what all of our <laughs> lives could have been like if a global pandemic had not swept the world, upending our lives. Allison Arwadi was barely confirmed by the city council in 2019 because she supported then Mayor Lightfoot's decision to break a campaign promise and not reopen public mental health clinics that were closed back in 2011 by former Mayor Rahm Emanuel. So Allison Arwadi and Lori Lightfoot had long been at loggerheads with the progressive political movement that really fueled Brandon Johnson's victory in the mayoral election. Allison Arwadi campaigned for Lori Lightfoot. She published a column in the Sun-Times. She told me that she considered Lightfoot Chicago's mental health mayor and said that she should be reelected. So I was not at all surprised when Brandon Johnson fired Allison Allison Arwadi. And you can talk about whether he, you know, should have given her a chance to make her case or say goodbye to the city or her staff. All of that, I think, is sort of secondary. But the fact of the matter is, is that they were truly diametrically opposed on questions of what Chicago's public health agendas and policies should be. And Branch Johnson said that during the campaign. So this is one of those shocking stories that should not be shocking if you know the backstory. And with, which you always do, which I always do. That is my brand. That is what I bring. Um, and so now Brandon Johnson really sort of finds himself in an even white hotter spotlight of trying to figure out, well, OK, if it's not Allison Arawani as the commissioner of the Department of Public Health, who is? And that person is along with Larry Snelling, the, the next top cop, is going to face a just a massive to-do list. So he or she will have to help re start reopening the public mental health clinics. He or she will have to expand the non-police response to people who call 911 when they are suffering mental health crises. These are all huge, huge tasks made more difficult by the fact that, oh wait, COVID, still here, not mm -hmm. gone away, still 
killing, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of three to five Chicagoans every week, and that, you know, we're about to sort of go into the fall where there's going to be a new formulation of the vaccine, so people are going to have to get another booster. There's probably no new COVID-19 money coming down the pike anytime Correct. soon. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And at the same time, the city faces a deadline to spend all of that COVID-19 relief money by the end of 2024. And much of the department's budget, the Department of Health's budget, I should say, is really made up of those federal grants. So this is just going to be a massive undertaking and is really at the heart of what Brandon Johnson promised during the campaign, that he was going to sort of take a brand new approach to sort of not just law enforcement, but also to treat Chicago's crime and violence problem as truly a public health problem. He was elected by the people who have sort of been pushing that. And so now, you know, it's time for him to to put up or shut up. And I think that that perhaps has been more being more complicated by sort of the way that Arwadi was firing, her decision to sort of publicly object to the way that she was fired, and sort of his reluctance on Monday to sort of directly address questions about why he made that decision and why he handled it in the way that he did. Man, you really started that answer with imagine a time where there was no COVID-19 and then ended it with sort of a smack of like, well, COVID-19 is still here. A financial cliff is coming up for the public health department. They'll have to start thinking about gun violence as a public health crisis like so many of the rest of us do. Oh, and I didn't even mention environmental justice, which they will also have to have some big uh, strategies for moving forward. I mean, I feel like four years ago, People didn't talk about the leader of the public health department in the same ways that they talk about the leader of the police department. Right. Um, Are are there any front runners at this point? Who's who's raising their hand saying, I want to do that job? So, you know, there's nobody who sort of has the public profile that Alison Arwadi really sort of created for herself because, you know, it was hard for me to remember. But I went back to the clips. But, you know, she had launched that daily Ask Dr. Arwadi online question and answer session even before the lockdown orders came into effect. And, you know, she was not confirmed or picked by Lori Lightfoot because she has expertise in epidemiology. That was, you know, a happy coincidence for Chicago. So, you know, Brandon Johnson is going to have to find somebody who can sort of do sort of what was the job of the public health commissioner in the before times, but also somebody who can handle sort of these new problems and new threats and somebody who can sort of communicate in a public-facing role. So this is a really, really big challenge, one of a number that the mayor is going to confront in earnest uh, after Labor Day. So much is so much focus has been on how he went about relieving Dr. Allison Arwoody of her duties. But is that n- different than how other mayors have gone about sort of clearing out before they bring in their own picks? No, it's not. And okay. here is the problem that Brandon Johnson created for himself was that he is not only promising to govern as the most progressive person ever elected a Chicago mayor. He's also promised to govern as a collaborator. As 
as somebody who convenes people together, takes everybody's sort of position in, and then makes the best decision with the support of those sort of people who are involved. And I think that this He positioned is, himself as more likable than correct. the more administration in right. some ways. Right. So so this, in, in a sense, is sort of a problem that he created for himself. Because if you say, as he has, I'm not a dictator, I'm not coming in to make decisions and tell people what to do, and then you fire somebody at five o'clock on a Friday without giving them a chance to say goodbye to their staff and sort of, you know, sort of, you know, be able to be clapped out of the office or what have you. That, that's a contradiction that, that we in the news media are going to focus on. Should it obscure the fact that these were real policy decisions and real policy with real implications for the mayor's agenda? I, I think you have to do both. Mm-hmm. Max, one of the reasons we love having you on the show is not only because uh, of the beat you cover and how much attention you put into it, but I feel like every time you come, you're talking about some new rallying effort, some new GoFundMe, some new story in the neighborhood you cover where neighbors have shown up to to have the back of their their neighbors, local business owners. And you got another story coming out of Woodline. Can you tell CityCast listeners about it? Yeah, so there's the 7323 Chicago Cafe. Uh, It's in a a shipping container at 66 in Woodlawn. Uh, They've uh, been operating for about a year now. Uh, They just celebrated their year anniversary earlier this month, but that year has been plagued with uh, uh, some some real issues. They've been burglarized once just a couple months after they opened. Um, uh, That took several months, all the way up until June of this year for them to recover from. They just reopened for that. And then about five, six weeks later, they were burglarized again. And so this is a, a Woodlawn resident, a small business in, a, in an area that doesn't have a whole lot of small businesses. Like this is a, a, it's in a pocket park. So it's like mostly a residential neighborhood. It's kind of the only cafe attraction right there in that, uh, that central location. Um, and so, yeah, this is a, a, it's a real problem that this business has been trying to get off the ground for about a year now. And, and so far has had to face some real, real struggles trying to do that. Um, but luckily, uh, uh, the people uh, in the neighborhood, the people across Chicago have really come together to support Mark Quinn, who owns uh, 7323 Cafe. Uh, and in the last 24 hours, actually, have almost helped him reach his goal of $3,500 to recover from the most recent burglary. So it really felt so good to see that. Um, um, in chatting with Mark Quinn earlier this week, I know he was sounding really down. He was sounding even so, uh, a little reluctant to like come to neighbors again and be like, hey, I know I just asked you for three grand, but I need to ask you for three grand again. And so to to, to kind of hear the the frustration, the pain in his voice, and then to know within 24 hours, within 48 hours of our conversation, uh, there's t- about two thousand more dollars uh, 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 to shore up the business to hopefully get him back up and running. Uh, yeah, it's just a really wonderful thing that people have been uh, pulling together for for this business and for him. Yeah, Mark Wynn actually stopped by my house a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we are we have some mutual friends. He's come and supported some of my events. I've been able to pull up on the cafe, and um, I, it's always you know, a celebratory moment when the homies open something in their neighborhood, yeah. when they bring their passion to the community. And it's it's great to focus on those positive stories. And it sucks uh, when moments like this, these hiccups, these setbacks happening, not every business owner can manage uh, a couple of these, right? Um, and so uh, I appreciate you drawing attention always to these neighborhood efforts. My hope is that, that Mark Wayne and 7323 can, uh, you know, bounce back from this and, you know, 
you know, leave them alone, y'all. Come on, For man. Real. Like, Let what are you doing in the hood? Right. Stop, like, chill out. I, I'm sure the people who did it is not listening to City Cast right yeah. now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe they are. Maybe they are. And, and come on, we're disappointed in you. We're disappointed. But we got to end this episode of CityCast like we end every episode of CityCast Chicago. Y'all already moving y'all here. See, that's what I. That's why I love y'all. Y'all gas me up when I need it, right? I haven't even hit a note yet, and y'all already jamming. Uh, because that's y'all know what's coming up. And that's some good news. Come on. Some good news. Might have to start going down there. Uh, we want to give you an event, some good news, something to get you through the next hour, the next day, through your weekend. Heather, I'm going to start with you. What's your good news? Uh, That the First Amendment's protections for the freedom of the press remain intact after uh, some cops in Marion, Kansas, raided the Marion record and seized their computers and their cell phones and put them at risk of not being able to publish. And not only were they able to publish, but that um, the, you know, Kansas Bureau of Investigation got involved and said that the warrant that they used to seize us sort of, you know, the newsrooms, uh, devices and, and computers was improper, but also that, you know, it was able to publish and that it didn't meet, um, you know, sort of miss a beat. And I think that a lot of journalists watch what happened in Kansas uh, this week with sort of our hearts in our mouths and a really bad feeling in our stomach, um, just knowing that, the, you know, journalism and freedom of the press has been so under attack for the last several years. And I think it was especially um, you know, important because there's an Illinois um, connection. The um, owner of the um, Marion record, Eric Meyer, is a former University of Illinois professor of journalism who taught many, many Chicago journalists. Eric Meyer also taught our wonderful newsletter editor, Sydney Madden. There we go. During her time. And let's take a moment to sort of express our condolences to Eric Meyer on the death of his mother, who was really traumatized by the raids. She was 98 and ended up dying shortly after it. And and he says he believes that stress contributed to her death. And uh, all of us have been thinking about him and, and sending good thoughts his way. Yeah. Wow. Joan Meyer, Eric's mother, was also the, the co-owner uh, of the paper. Uh, Max, I want to bring you in here. Uh, we've talked a little bit over the last few weeks about Chicago's hip hop scene. We're celebrating 50 years of hip hop. And this week, uh, one of Chicago's, in my opinion, greatest mixtapes is celebrating its 10th anniversary. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so the uh, 10th anniversary of Chance the Rapper's Acid Rap is going to be at the United Center on Saturday. Um, I will be in there for sure because Acid Rap is so formative to my music taste. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was, let's see, I was a junior in high school when that came out uh, in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So this is like right as Chicago is bubbling up on the national scene in terms of rap, Mm -hmm. in terms of hip hop. Uh, and, And Chance the Rapper, like when I first heard him, I was like, Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. This guy's going to be something serious. Uh, And I actually had an opportunity to go see him for five bucks in 2013. All my (laughs) friends were going and uh, I just couldn't get a ride out there because I was like 16 or whatever, couldn't drive. And so, 
Yeah, I did not pay $5 to go to the United Center for this uh, anniversary concert. I can tell you that much. Kind of a missed opportunity there. But uh, yeah, from the production to uh, his, his raps, what he was rapping about. What's your like joint? This, What's your joint? That's really hard. I'd say probably Acid Rain uh, because okay. I feel like that was really him putting himself out there. And when it comes to music, I really love when an artist is like, this is who I am. This is my experience. And uh, yeah, kind of dealing with the more difficult th sides of things, like not being afraid to put yourself out there, uh, out on wax too. It's just like, that that's probably my favorite. Uh, and I can't wait to hear all these songs drop uh, 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 on Saturday. Uh, I love Everybody Something featuring Sabin and BJ, the Chicago kid, uh, which that song makes me think of who are going to be some of these features because Sabin mm -hmm. is opening up for uh, for Chance. But I mean, when he come to Chicago, we we saw the commercial sort of leading up to the show this weekend. King Louie was in there. Mm -hmm. is, is he going to stop by? Even though Dirk wasn't in there, people going to be mad on Twitter if I don't mention Dirk. <laughs> I mean, if he pulls up at the United Center a week after being there again, I think that would be a moment. And, you know, the United Center going to be busting this weekend. Uh, during the day, Bulls Fest is going to be there. At night, you're going to be able to see the 10th anniversary of Acid Rap, which, little known fact, came out April 30th, 2013, which was my 22nd birthday. So it was a hell of a birthday present <laughs> uh, for me when that album, well, when that mixtape officially dropped. Uh, so we've already got people, some great events for this weekend. And so I'm going to finish us out with my some good news. I got two events for you this weekend. The first one is the Middle Eastern Immigrant and Refugee Alliance Fest over at Warren Park in West Ridge. They're going to have games, activities, but also be celebrating newly arriving immigrants and refugees to Chicago. And also you can head over to North Lawndale this Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. to celebrate National Honeybee Day. They're going to be out there doing scavenger hunts, have activities for kids, but you can also help build some bee boxes to help protect these crucial local pollinators. I want to give a huge thank you to our guests today from Block Club Chicago, Maxwell Evans, and from WTTW, our encyclopedia, Heather Sharon. Thank y'all for making time for CityCast. Thank you very much. So glad to be on. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Before I let you go, I want to give a huge thank you to the people who make CityCast Chicago possible and our newsletter, Hey Chicago. That's lead producer, Simone Alisea, our newsletter editor, Sydney Madden. Our producer is Grant Irving. Our roving newsletter editor this week is Natalia Aldana. The music y'all all love listening to is from Sam Thousand, All the Kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. If you love the podcast and newsletter as much as I do, please share it with your friends and family and rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. Also, the best way to show us some love is to respond to our chatter questions. This week, we want to know what's your favorite or the best place to cry in the city of Chicago. Let us know with a text or voicemail at 773-780-0246. I'm back here on Monday talking about the first day of school specifically for newly arriving migrant students. Join us then, and please, please have a good weekend. Peace. Welcome back fun. to City Cash Chicago, Chicago's number one daily news game show, where they talk <laughs> headlines and we give prizes. Our guests today, Heather Sharon and Maxwell Evans. <laughs> Have you busted that out in a real recording or? Yeah, <laughs> no, I feel a new like revenue I... stream just dropped. Get on it. I feel like all my aunties call it City Cash, and so I just been telling them I don't even host a podcast. I host a news game show. Gotcha. City cash. Okay. <laughs>
City-Chicago. 